Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I want to just uh, take a few minutes and talk about some things that mama told me. Mama's gone home to be with the Lord, but don't, don't you remember some stuff your mama told you? Just, just turn to one or two people around you. Just tell them something that mama told you. Just, just one of them words of advice. And Mama used to say this, this three sides to every story. There's your side, my side, and there's the truth. Thank God for mama's advice. Well, let me put up on the screen. Let me put up on the screen just some things that my mama told me, and maybe you know my mama. She said, I brought you into this world. Yep, y'all know my mama. Yep, she said that. We would often uh, be complaining in the Wisconsin winter, say, Mama, turn up the heat. Mama would say, if you cold, get a blanket. Don't touch my heat. And how many of y'all mamas said this to your kids before you went into the store? There's two rules. Rule number one, don't ask for nothing and don't touch nothing. And sometimes we'd be crying when we couldn't get our way or after we got a spanking and mama would say, you better shut up before I give you something to cry about. <laughs> My mama was old school. She didn't play. She wanted us to be safe. And so she would say, y'all better beat the streetlights home. Kids don't know nothing about that now. They out at 2, 3 in the morning. Mama's like, no, you better be on the front porch before them streetlights start flickering. And we wasn't at home. We would see the streetlights flickering. We would just break out in the dash trying to beat them home. I think every mama and daddy probably said this before, don't make me get my belt or a switch. <laughs> any, mama, any mama's ever said this? Stay out of grown folks' business. This ain't got nothing to do with you. And in the summertime, mama would say, don't be running in and outside this house. You letting all my co-air out. All my cold air. She just claimed that air, right? Don't you be letting it out either. And sometimes you get hungry. You say, you hungry, so you want McDonald's. She says, oh, you want McDonald's? You got McDonald's money? As if that's a, a brand of currency. You just say McDonald's on it. You can only spend it. You got McDonald's money? 
And finally, thank God that she often said this, I don't care what your friends are doing. If they jump off a bridge, you going to jump off too? No, you can't go with them. Can we just thank God again for the advice that we receive from our mothers? Oh, to hear their voice again. You know, we need advice. We need direction. And I speak on behalf of every man. We need help. We, we, have, we have trouble with directions. How I many of y'all know that? I know we're a little prideful and we don't often admit it. We don't stop and ask for directions. We need help when it comes to directions. I'm learning to still listen to my wife in our 33rd year of marriage. I'm learning to listen to her. There was a time we were uh, in Kansas City years ago uh, taking our youth to a, a fine arts festival convention. And uh, the youth were on a bus, and we were in our own rental car. And I'd never been to Missouri before. It was a new experience. The fr on the highway, you could do 70 miles per hour. I was kind of liking it, and I was feeling free. And uh, we had been driving for a while, and it was getting kind of hungry. And she said, well, when are you going to stop for lunch? I said, well, I'll find us some place to, I'll find somewhere to, to go. I had never been in that part of the country before. And I saw a sign that said, Raytown, 10 miles ahead. I said, there's got to be a soul food place in a place called Raytown. They probably named it after a brother named Ray. And so you know it's some good cooking in there. I got off at the Raytown exit. Fifteen minutes later, we driving through cornfields and up and down hills. I was lost. We never did get lunch that day. I admit, we need help. We need directions. It reminds me of a story of a man who he and his wife came out of their house one day and they looked on the driveway and there was this stray dog sitting at the end of the driveway. And the wife said, you need to take that dog and get rid of it. So the husband put the dog in the back of his car and he drove about three miles away and opened up the door, scooted the dog out of the car and he drove on back home. Before he got home, the dog was walking up the driveway again. The wife said, you obviously didn't go far enough. You need to go a little bit farther. So this time he went about 10 miles, drove around into the country, dropped the dog off, got back in his car, came back home again. He's half a block away from home. He see the dog walking up his driveway again. The wife said, you, this time you need to go about 30 miles into another county, drive around in the country, and then go around in circles and just confuse the dog, drop it off, and then come on back home. An hour later, the phone rings. The husband is on the end of the line. Say, honey, I don't know where I am. I'm lost. I let the dog out, and I don't know how to get home. Did the dog make it back home? She said, yes, he's in the driveway. She sa he said, put the dog on the phone. I need, I need to know how to get back home. We need help. We need some advice. And so... This morning, we're going to look to the scriptures in Proverbs chapter 31. Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, gives him some wonderful advice. I think it's some, some lessons that we can transfer to ourselves as men, but also she offers advice to Solomon on what to look for in terms of a godly woman and a wife. But uh, Bathsheba, she, she teaches us something as well, that it's important to learn how to communicate in such a way that it will increase a person's uh, chances of listening to what you say. That's a challenge for men because if, if you don't talk to us the right way, we're not going to hear you. 
it's a challenge also for, for our young people, for our youth. In their immaturity, they will often stop listening to us. Number one, when we feel that we've stopped listening to them. Hello, somebody. You got to listen to your kids. Secondly, they'll stop listening to us if they feel like we're constantly lecturing them. And we as parents and adults have to learn to sometimes let the word of God speak to them. You know, when, when our children were younger, and I remember when I was younger, um, our parents had, had more of our attention, especially at nighttime. That's a, parents, that's an opportune time to draw near to your children, to hold them and hug them. They'll let you hug them when they're younger. You know, you, you can sit on the side of the bed and hold them and pray with them and talk to them and listen to them. But something happens over time. They start growing up. They become more independent. And then, and then your words of advice become nagging. They become lectures. They become, you always on my back. And they, they exhibit attitudes. And some of them will even stare you down. Something happens within our kids. But the challenge is for us as parents to find a way to still give advice to our children because they need it. That's why the Lord told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, the commands that I'm giving you today, they need to be in your heart, but I want you to teach them diligently to your children. And how are you going to do that? Well, you got to talk to them when you sit in your house. When you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, talk about the word. Bind it as a sign on your hand. Put it, put it as frontless before your eyes. Write it on the doorposts of your house so that your children don't miss the word of God. Men and all, everybody else needs direction and need answers, especially young men. There's an attack upon and an assault upon our young men today. Young men can, can be reckless, can be risk takers. Every time we, we turn on the news, we, we read about another young man that stole a car and led police on a high-speed chase and wrapped a car around a tree and hit a couple of other cars and got out and ran. So young people can be reckless. They can be foolish. They can be unwise in their decisions. They can be guided by their emotions. Sometimes young men think with this head, and um, instead of thinking with his head, excuse me, they think with their hormones. So they need direction. In Proverbs 31, Solomon was a young teenager. He was newly crowned as king just before his father David died. Bathsheba reminded David that Solomon was a son of promise, that he was a son that they vowed would take David's place on the throne. And so when David crowned Solomon as king, Bathsheba became Solomon's first and closest advisor. But remember, she had to con consult him and advise him in a way that would not cause him to tune her out. So she began giving Solomon advice, and that was important because, remember, Solomon is 16 or 17 years old in one of the most powerful positions on planet Earth. And if you're like Solomon, man, I'm going to ask you, when you were 16 or 17, what was on your mind? Yeah, sports. Girls, fun, and maybe fast cars. Solomon didn't have a car, but he had lots of chariots. So he was probably thinking about looking good riding through his chariot in the streets in his chariot. He was probably, he was probably thinking about girls, thinking about parties. And so Bathsheba, she had a nickname for Solomon. She called him Lemuel. And in Proverbs chapter 31, 
verse 1 and 2, she writes the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Notice that she has to call Solomon's three times to get his attention because Solomon wasn't thinking about growing up and maturing as a wise king. He needed the advice of his mother to say, son, you need to just pump your brakes and slow your roll a little bit. You're moving a little bit too fast. I got to call you. Your mama had to call you three or four times. After three times, it was a shoe coming your way. My mama had them boomerang shoes. They could turn corners and wait for you to peek your head up out the bed and then hit you. She got his attention by calling him three times because Solomon, like most young men, was struggling with PMS. Now, women, young women aren't the only ones that deal with PMS. Men deal with it as well. That is the attack upon men, the temptations that come from power, money, and sex. Solomon was in that, he was in that trap. And so she gave him some advice. And in verse 3 through 5, she gave some, him some advice about his sex life. She said, don't give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Now, if you were here last week and if you've read anything about the life of Solomon, you know that Solomon did not heed this portion of his mother's advice. He was wild when it came to women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. In verse 4, she gave him some advice about wine and partying. She says, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. She was reminding Solomon that you are in a position of power. You are in a position of leadership, and you must be sober. You must be of a sound, balanced mind. You must make wise decisions, so you can't afford to have any addictions in your life. Last week, we, we shared a message about the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon. And she displayed for us some characteristics of finding a strong and a good partner. And if you remember that message, it, I think it relates to what Bathsheba was telling Solomon. Is if, if you're going to be a good king, if you're going to be a wise king, then, then you can't play with sin. If you're going to be a, a good leader, a good husband, a good father a good pastor, a good uh, leader in the community, a good uh, employer or employee, you can't make friends with the devil and his toys. Somebody said the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. And so as, as men, we're just bigger boys. We still got toys. But you got to watch out the toys that you play with. You cannot play with that which is going to destroy you and your partners. So she was reminding Solomon, it's not good for kings to, to drink wine. Whatever you fail to master will soon master you. She learned how to communicate to Solomon in a way to get his attention. I would just wish Solomon had to learn that first lesson about sex. We never hear about Solomon having a problem with wine, but listen, that first one. He said, no, mama, these women are too fine. I don't know about that. I can't, I'll, I'll give up the wine, but I don't know about the women. I don't know about the women. I remember growing up as a child, we didn't have a lot of, lot of uh, gadgets and toys to play with. The children today, they barely come outside to play. They, they play with their thumbs sitting at the end of the bed or on a, 
on a couch with video games. But we used to go outside. I had to close the door not to let mama's cold air out, though. But when we got outside, we would play with water hoses and, you know, we would, we would have boat races. And we didn't build boats. we just find a stick or a piece of wood or an old branch and put it in the stream of water. And whichever branch won, hey, we were proud. I remember one day playing that game and the stream of water was, was heading towards this, this anthill. And I thought for a moment, those ants better run. They're getting ready to get flooded. But I didn't know how to communicate to the ants. Bathsheba has that same dilemma. She wanted to warn Solomon about the flood that was approaching him, but she found a way to communicate to him in such a way, in a creative way, that it didn't come across as a lecture. It didn't cause him to tune her out or to say, oh, mama, just, you're always on my back. Bathsheba used the Hebrew alphabet. I want the media team, put, the, put up the Hebrew alphabet. There, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are no vowels. They're all consonants. And the Hebrew alphabet, just like Hebrew writing, is read from the left to the right. The first letter on the left of the alphabet is Aleph. Second is Bet. Third is Vet. And it keeps going, or, or Gimel is third. Vet and Bet are the same um, um, consonants, but they have a different uh, pronunciation. But it goes all the way to, to the 22 alphabets. And so Bathsheba used something that she probably learned from David, who wrote three other psalms in an acrostic form, which means that every uh, su successive verse of that chapter is written in this form, that it begins with the first uh, alphabet, and the second verse is the second alphabet. The third verse is the third alphabet. It's an acrostic form. And the Hebrew alphabet also is associated with pictures. It's the same way that we learned our alphabets, A, B, C, D, E, F, D. A is for apple. B is for ball. We saw a picture of a ball. We saw a picture of an apple. C is for cat. We saw a picture of a cat. It's, it's that way that the Hebrew alphabet is also written. So each of these alphabet represents an image of something. And Bathsheba wanted to use this in the remaining verses of Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, to teach Solomon, this is what you should look for when you're looking for a good, godly woman. When you want to find a wife, she should look like this. And so she took verse 10 of Proverbs 31. She started talking about who can find a virtuous wife, for her worth is far above rubies. She takes verse, uh, verse 10 and begins it with the, with the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is the symbol of prosperity. She wants to let Solomon know that when you find a wife, you have found the greatest gift of God on earth. You have found true riches. You have found something that's, in fact, her price is far above rubies. He says, you need to find a wife that, that brings riches into your life. I'm not talking about finances, but she brings a quality with her that enhances you. It makes you better. It causes you to shine. And those are the true riches. The picture of the word Aleph is of two oxen that are yoked together. Two oxen. Now, ladies, don't be offended to, to know that a virtuous woman is compared to an ox. Because to have an ox in ancient biblical days was the same as a man having a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. 
But this, in this case, he's got two of them yoked together. So just know that you are a Bentley kind of girl, a Rolls Royce kind of woman. You're not one of them little Kias or Volkswagen women. You are, you are a rich woman. And the brother need to recognize the worth and the quality that you bring. Her value is far above rubies. In verse 11, she says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Verse 11 begins with the Hebrew letter bet, which is a picture of a house with only one door. A house with only one door. Didn't have a back door. And it's a picture of trust. That house with one door means that there's only one way into this woman's heart and one way out. And she's a one-man woman. Y'all hear what I'm saying? She's a one-man woman. That there's only one door. In other words, there's no back door. In other, when the husband leaves out the front door to go to work, Billy Bob ain't sneaking in through the back door. It's trust. Her husband does safely trust in hers so that she shall have no need of spoil. The Hebrew word for spoil is, is symbolic of adultery. She's a one-man woman. Her heart is devoted to one man. She's romancing one woman. She's one man. She's devoted to one man. She, she's developing such a friendship and an intimacy with her mate that he feels safe at home. That brother can't wait to get home at the end of the day because he knows that his heart is safe in that place. That's the kind of woman that Bathsheba wanted to paint a picture of Solomon. He would remember these things. He would remember A. Apple. He would remember B. Bat. He would remember what a godly woman looks like. So in verse, verse 12, she says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The Hebrew letter in verse 12 is the word is the letter Gimel, which depicts a camel. Now I've already offended you all by saying women are like oxen, but now you're going deeper now. What do you mean they like camels? Well, there's a the camel has a certain characteristic that when it walks or when it runs, its head never moves. Its legs may move, its tail may move, its hump may go up and down, but its head stays steady. Rain, sleet, or snow. That camel is just constantly going through, uh, through whatever the seasons, whatever the conditions are. If it's hot in the desert or if it's rainy in the rainy season, if it's muddy, that camel's head does not move. That's a symbol of dependency, dependability. Bathsheba wanted Solomon to know you need to get one of them U.S. Postal Service kind of women. They rain, sleet, or snow. They're not going to change. They're going to show up no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the conditions are. She's not moved by circumstances. She's only moved by the word of God. Verse 13, she paints a picture that this godly woman shall bring nothing but good to him every day of his life. The scripture says that she seeks flax. She seeks wool and flax, and she works willingly with her hands. Verse 13 begins with the letter Daleth, which depicts an open door as if you're looking down upon it. Daleth represents making decisions. Men, we need, to, we need to love our wives and our mothers and our girlfriends and our daughters in such a way that they feel bold and confidence when it comes to making decisions. 
not doubtful, not wondering, oh, do I need to, do I need to call him? To, should, I, should I get wheat bread or white bread? No, you should have already communicated your heart to her. Honey, I trust you. I tell my wife uh, all the time, when I was in, in China about, I think it was about 14 years ago, I went to China and I, and I bought a wood carving. And I don't speak Chinese, and so I had to ask the artist what it meant. There's a picture of a woman's hand, and there's a rope, and there's a key coming down from the hand. And I say, what does this mean? It says that it means that the woman has the man's heart and his money. And so somebody clapping about that. Hallelujah. And so I tell my wife all the time, I say, baby, you got the key and the calculator. The key and the calculator. I come home. Here's my check, honey. Give me my allowance. And I'm good. I want you to be free to make decisions on, on how we're going to handle everything else. Love her in such a way that she has a sense of boldness and confidence when it comes to making decisions. Verse 14 says, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Begins with the Hebrew letter he. It's a picture of a window, and it represents perspective. This wise woman is always looking out over the horizons, looking for the best opportunity, looking for the best deal, looking for the best quality merchandise according to her, her level of affordability. She doesn't have a perspective that she's trying to live like Jefferson's on, you know, before they moved up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. She's got perspective that I'm going to get the best quality with what I can, with what we can afford right now. She's looking out through the window. In verse 15, she rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Begins with the Hebrew letter Vav, which is a picture of a hook or a peg, such as a hook on which you might hang your coat when you come home. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I got one of them hooks when I come in through my door. Take my hat off, take my coat off, set it on the hook. Well, that's a picture of this woman. That you can, you can, she can hold some weight. She has, she has a dependability that everything in that household rests upon her. That's why women, you all know you can't get sick. You can't stay sick long. That household going to fall apart. Who going to cook? Who going to clean? Who going to match up? Who going to pay the bills? Who going to handle all the details, right? You the foundation of that household. You the hook. Everything rests upon you. Verse 16, Bathsheba reminds Solomon that this woman, she considers a field and she buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Zion is the Hebrew alphabet that begins verse 16, and it represents the woman's zeal, her tenacity. She's going after higher ground. She's not content with the status quo. She's looking to seize every opportunity and take full advantage of it. Once she has the peace of God and the confirmation of her husband, you cannot stop this woman from pursuing after that which she desires for her and her household. She considers a field, she buys it, and with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. I'm telling you, this woman is always pressing on and on and looking to push her family to higher ground. In verse 17, she girds her loins with strength and she strengthens her arms. Y'all ready for this one? 
Y'all, it's because it sounds like she lift weights. No, that's not what it's talking. She lifting some weights, all right, but it ain't what y'all think it is. She girds her loins with strength, and she strengthens her arm. Verse 17 begins with the Hebrew letter cheth. Cheth is a symbol of an enclosure. And in this verse, she's telling Solomon that the wife is a physical enclosure for her husband. She is a physical enclosure. The scripture says in Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. The wife is that tower for her husband. In other words, no matter how tired she is, when he comes home, she manages to draw upon some inner strength to meet him and to surround him with her love. She has a supernatural, she puts a supernatural hedge of protection around her husband against the, against the attacks of the enemy. Because you remember how men are attacked, PMS, right? Come on, somebody. Men are attacked through PMS. Women, y'all need to know that. So you, need, you don't even wonder when your husband come through the door, has he been tempted sexually? You don't even have to ask that. Did he watch TV today? He was tempted. Can he see? He was tempted. Does he work with women? He was tempted. Put, a, put an enclosure around that brother. Listen, when a brother got a Rolls Royce at home, why ride a bike? <laughs> Bathsheba was letting Solomon and the women know that, listen, you got to take time to refresh yourself and your husband. When it talks about she strengthens her arm, it literally means that she encourages her arms to meet him. That when he comes through the door, you make him think that you he has been the only thing on your mind that day. It comes from a supernatural strength. And you got to take time to protect him from what's going on on the outside. Because that verse talks about in verse 18 that she does not let her candle go out by night. Those, these two kind of relate together. Um, some of y'all might be old enough like me to remember the name Teddy Pendergrass. So Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass had a song about not letting the candle go out at night. He said, turn off the lights and light a candle. And it says some other things in there. It's for married folks, y'all. Strengthen, she strengthens her arms. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her candle goes not out by night. Tayeth is a symbol that begins verse 18. And Tayeth is a symbol for flow. It symbolizes the spirit of the virtuous woman. That this woman is not a dry, desert oasis kind of gal. But no, there's a river of the Holy Spirit that's flowing to her and flowing in her and flowing through her. And she's watering her husband and watering her family. That she's tapped into the spirit of the living God. She's a praying woman, a praising woman, a, a thankful woman. So that the well is always flowing on the inside of her. She's determined she's not going to let sin, Satan, or circumstances block her flow. Amen. 
In verse 19, she lays her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. Yaud is the Hebrew letter. And you all have heard this before because Yaud is, is what Jesus referred to when he said, every jot and every tittle shall be fulfilled of the law. It, it's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it's almost like a period. It's like dotting the I and crossing the T. That's what Jesus was saying. Every I is going to be dotted. Every T is going to be crossed. The law is going to be fulfilled. And this is speaking about the woman's strength in her work. It's literally a picture of a clenched fist. That's what yaud means. I was watching my wife text the other day, and uh, excuse me, honey, for just watching you, but when you text, you are intense. You know what I'm talking about? When you're doing something, you are just, you're just clenched. You're focused on it. That's, that's the picture of this woman. Her hands are clenched in work for her family. She's going to make this thing happen. Don't bother me right now. I'm handling something. That's the clenched fist. In verse 20, she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hand to the needy. This Hebrew letter is the letter kaf, which represents an outstretched hand. 19 was a clenched hand of, of focus and work. This is an outstretched hand, which indicates giving. It's a generous woman that Solomon must be looking for. Not a, not a woman who's, who's, who's a tightwad. Not a woman who's thinking about scarcity, but she lives in abundance. And so this woman, after she's taking care of the needs of her household, she's making sure that there's something left over so we can be generous, so we can sow some seed in the ground, so we can bless some other folks as we have been blessed. Verse 21, Bathsheba tells Solomon that she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all of her household are clothed with scarlet. Lamed is the Hebrew letter that begins verse 21. And it looks like an ox gold. Or if you picture a spur on a cowboy's boot. Cowboys would spur those horses to make them move, to make them run faster. That's an, a picture of an ox gold. That's what Jesus was telling Saul when he blinded him on the road to Damascus. said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You're kicking against an ox gold. And it's a picture of an ox goat, which is a motivator. It causes a person to move, to get in gear. Now, this wise woman, she doesn't need to be goaded. She's got an internal drive already. She's already going after stuff. I said in the early service that, that some of y'all can relate to this. This is a woman who knows how to, to get her hustle on in a good, godly way. I'm not talking about something that's illegal, immoral, or sinful. But this is a woman who's a go-getter. She's not waiting for somebody to move her. She's already motivated on the inside to make stuff happen for her family. Verse 22, I know I'm boring, y'all. I'm going to let y'all go to get your greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes. And just give me, give me a few more minutes. Verse 22, she makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Coverings of tapestry. What are you talking about that? What is that tapestry? What's clothing of silk and purple? Well, the Hebrew letter is mem, M-E-M, which is a picture of water. And water is often referred to in scripture as a symbol of sexuality. And we know that from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God made male and female, so God is the author of sex. God created sex to be within a one-man, one-woman covenant marriage relationship. God wanted the water to flow. Go into the deep water if you want to. 
And so this is a picture of this woman who she covers the tapestry. She makes her bed covering. She's dressed in the finest linen for one important reason. Because when the husband comes home through the door, she's going to enclose him and strengthen her arms. Amen. She doesn't have on those, those flannel pajamas with the feet in them. She's got on silk and purple. Something that just feels almost like skin. It's just smooth and soft. Not that woolly stuff where your, your rough hands get caught in it and your nail. But it's revealing and alluring. I'm talking to the married woman now. Now y'all who are dating and seeking and and, and desiring, take notes, because this is what you should, Solomon was taught to look for. In verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The Hebrew letter noon, N-U-W-N, is the Hebrew letter that represents a fish. Husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders. This means that this husband has reached a level of governmental authority, of community influence, of business success, and it represents concentration. That's what the fish represents. The husband can only arrive to that level when he's got peace at home, when he's got things together in his relationship with his wife. Come on, brothers, just be real. You know that you feel like I feel discombobulated when Lady Judy ain't acting right at home. I just can't, I just can't, I can't function. I'm like, I'm trying the best that I can. I'm trying to hold it all together, I, but I can't concentrate. But when a brother can concentrate and he know it's tight at home and the foundation, she enclosing him and the devil can't get in and, you know, the, uh, the, the ones that, that the devil used can't get in. We can concentrate. We can make some stuff happen. Amen. That brother's going to be known in the gates. Amen. So I need you to keep acting right, baby. <laughs> I can't perform my best. Things ain't right. Amen. They good today. They good today, though. Amen. Verse 24. Let me go on. I'm in trouble already, so I'm just going to go on. She done already cooked, so I'm good. I'm good for the day. For the day, anyway. Verse 24 says, she makes fine linen. And she sells it. She delivers girdles unto the merchant. The Hebrew word letter kamek begins this verse. It's a picture of a, of a fulcrum, which is a support point that keeps everything in balance. If you, if you picture a scale, it has a tray on this side and a tray on that side. That fulcrum is the balancing point in the middle. That's what Solomon was told. This is the kind of woman that you need. It's a woman that has financial balance. If a brother stands on one side of the scale, it might go down a little bit. But if you find this godly woman and she comes on the same side of the scale with you, come on, you're going to tip the scale. That's the kind of woman you are. You don't want the kind of woman that you holding it down and then she get on the scale with you and now your pockets are lighter. You know, the scale goes up, both of y'all on this side. But no, she comes and she's in such financial balance that she tips the scale on your side. 
Verse 25, Bathsheba says, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Ayin is the Hebrew letter in verse 25. It's a picture of a fountain. In order for a fountain to flow, there has to be pressure deep down beneath the surface of the waters that's pushing up the water through the fountain. This is a symbol of a woman who has found an inner strength and an inner beauty. That it's all right to put a little Mary Kay and Ebony Fashion Fair on and get your hair done, but even if you don't have that, this woman has an inner beauty that the beauty on the outside is being transformed because she's got a beauty on the inside. Amen. That's what Peter was teaching the women of old when he said that that you would be like your mother Sarah when you call your husband Lord because Sarah had that meek and quiet spirit. She had that hidden person of the heart which was precious in the sight of God. He said, don't let your beauty just be the outer appearance of the braiding of your hair or wearing of gold and putting on fine clothes, but let it be on the inside. That's why I think the church girls, women of God, you are the, you are the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth because you've got the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. that's transforming you from the inside out. But keep on wearing the ebony fashion fair and all that other stuff. That just enhances what God's doing on the inside. Verse 26 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. This is the Hebrew letter P, P-H-E. And it depicts an open mouth with a tongue in the middle of it. It's a picture of a, of a woman who is able to speak in whatever scenario that she's in. She knows how to talk to God. She knows how to talk to her children, unlike some mothers when you hear them in the, in the schools and in the shopping centers today and they curse their kids out like they have no relationship with them. This is a woman who knows how to talk to her man. She talks to him in such a way that that brother, will, he will build you a house with toothpicks if you just talk to him the right way. I'm telling you, just talk to me the right way. If, if, if he takes her to a social function on his job, he don't have to worry about his wife. He knows that she can handle herself in any situation. That she's that open mouth with the tongue in it. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. And she eats not the bread of idleness. Verse 27 begins with sade, which is the Hebrew letter that depicts a reaping hook. It's the picture of a farmer who goes in and thrusts in its sickle and begins to reap the harvest. She looks well to the ways of her household and she eats not the bread of idleness. This is a woman that spiritually is alert to what is going on in her own home. She looks well to the ways of her household. She's not so busy with with the job outside and not so busy with what's happening in church that she's not discerning the enemy's attack upon her husband and upon her children. She knows what's going on. And ladies, you all know what I'm talking about. You all got that alert, that radar, that, you know, something ain't right in the the atmosphere. (laughs) It's amazing how, you know, women just have that, that sense. They can walk in a room. Husband can be at work. And she meets all the, all the uh, fellow employees and all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. Radar just started going off. There's a woman in here who's liking my husband. I don't know who she is, but I know she's. Uh, and then you just start shaking hands. And then they don't go off with that one. And you shake another hand. And it don't go out there. 
Beep, 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 beep. Oh, it's you, it's you, it's you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all just know. You just, you just know stuff that's going on. Everything might look right on the natural, but this woman, she has a greater level of discernment. Verse 28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 28 begins with the Hebrew letter gaf, which represents the back of the head. And this means that as the wife or the godly woman is patiently sowing good seed into her husband and children's lives, that she may not always hear their gratitude and their praise for her efforts. But listen, when your husband and when your children go away, the word arise up literally means when they grow up. So your children are not going to wake up in the morning. Oh, bless you, mother. You are such a great blessing from God. How may I serve you today? No, they wake up. Don't. I'm finna get up. I don't want to go to school today. In fact, I'm hungry. Can you make me some pancakes? That's what you might hear in the morning. But when it talks about the back of the head, it means that when they grow up, that they're going to praise you behind your back. That as they continue to mature, then they're going to begin to see, oh man, I remember when mama told me that. I remember when mama taught me that. That's what she was praying for. There will be other people who will compliment your husband and compliment your children behind your back, but it's really a testimony of the work that you have done and the seeds that you have sown. So just know that your labor is not in vain. Your praise is coming behind your back. Verse 29 says, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Reish is the letter that begins this verse. It symbolizes the front of the head. Now, in verse 28, you got the back of the head, but now this is the front of the head. In this verse, the husband is praising you directly to your face. Every woman loves to be affirmed and loves to be told she's beautiful and that she's worthy and that she's, that she's desired more than anyone or anything on the face of the earth. Husbands, you need to tell your wives that not just the day you married them. I told you I loved you. The day we got married, I said, I do know you, you need to tell them more than one time a day, as often as you can. You're the best thing that I've sing to them. My girl, my girl. I'm telling you, tell them to their face, to the front of their face. You excel them all. Tell my wife all the time, I said, you know, I could have married a lot of women, but I got the right one. This is the one that God wanted for me. Verse 29, Bathsheba taught Solomon, this is the woman, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excelling them all. Let me go, I'm sorry, I read that in verse... Verse 30. First, let me go to verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. The last verse of the Hebrew alphabet, the acrostic, is the word tav. From Aleph to Tav, from Alpha to Omega, from first to last, the Hebrew letter Tav is the emblem of a signature. When you come to an end of a letter, what do you do? You sign it. And so Bathsheba was literally signing her name on this letter, letting Solomon know 
that a virtuous woman, she signs her name on her husband and on her children. Ladies, that's what you all do, whether you realize it or not. You're, you're, you're grooming, you're planting seed, you're cultivating so that when your husband goes out at the gate or out in the community, when your children go out to school, they represent you. They do. They represent you. Your signature is on those kids. And that's why, that's why you're so picky about how your kids look before you leave the house. Or you should be. Because they represent you. You send your kids out and their hair all over the place. Clothes dirty. Musty. They're going to say, who your mama? Who your mama? Because your signature is on there. I learned a long time ago, don't let nobody in the house unless my wife has first approved that they can come in. You know why? <laughs> because her signature is in that house. You make that mistake, brothers, she's going to say, did you let them in this house? Did they see the kitchen? Did you take them in the bathroom? Did you clean up before you took them in? And you're like, no, no, you don't even think about it. But her signature is on that house. Her signature is on you. When people compliment you, they're complimenting her. That's why the scripture is saying, give her the fruit of her hands. Give her her fruit. Give her her flowers right now while she can smell them. I want to encourage you women of God today, whether you are natural mothers, spiritual mothers, whether you are mothers who are in, in grief and you've experienced loss and you experienced desire of not being able to conceive, God is saying this morning that he's going to reward you diligently if you don't quit, if you don't faint. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you have sown, you're going to reap. Whatever seeds you've put in the ground is going to come back up. And I could imagine that as a mother that there are times that you probably wonder and doubt, is this really worth it? Am I really making a difference? Do my children really appreciate me? Does my husband understand what I sacrifice and what I go through so that he can do the things that he does and so my children can have the opportunities that we both desire for them to have? I want to just encourage you to, Paul said, be steadfast, be unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. There's seed in the ground and that seed is going to come up out of the ground and it's going to result in fruit. And you're going to get the fruit of your hands. And today is just a day to acknowledge you and to recognize and encourage you to hold on in there a little bit longer. That it is worth it. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.